talk. We're in week five of Fear's a Liar, and uh, we've got a couple more weeks, weeks left of this, and I'm really excited about where this is going today. I want to talk about a fear that we've all had at one time or another. It's the fear of losing control. And uh, the more I talk about it, the more I think you may find yourself in some of this. I, I have uh, discovered, well, let me tell you this story, and this, this is how I discovered this. When I was a kid, um, I was in junior high school. That was, that's a, another term for now, middle school. I was probably in the seventh or eighth grade when this happened. I was walking home from school one day, and we lived in Winchester in the city there, and, and I was walking. I, I actually went to junior high school at Hanley High School. That's where they had us going to school. And I was walking down the street beside of Hanley High School, and I got to this intersection that I'd walked by a thousand times probably, and there was, uh, the stoplight was there, and then the, you know, the control box that they had for the stoplight was on a pole, uh, right about, you know, head, or eye, eye sight of, uh, of me, and it was beside of a tree, big tree. But I noticed something this particular day that was different than any other day, and that was that the, the door on the control box was open. And so, being inquisitive like I am, I went over and I opened it up completely, and inside of this box was this little trigger thing connected to a wire, and at the bottom of the wire, there was this little switch, and it said, automatic or manual. And I knew what that meant. And so, I took the control, I'm hiding behind the tree, and I switched the button, to manual. And so my job was to see if I could keep traffic going the way the thing did when it was on automatic. And so I would have the green light and then after a little bit I'd hit yellow and then I'd wait and then I would hit red. And I did this for like 15 minutes just to feel the power of the moment, the control that I had. Well, then I decided to mess with some people. And so I would put it on red and a group of cars would line up and I would hit green and then real quick hit yellow and red. And people were slamming on the brakes and, 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 and like you could hear them screaming inside their cars. And then I would hit green, yellow, red. You know, and, and it, it, I'm having so much fun. It is amazing what you can do with a little switch when you have, have power. And so this went on for a little while, and apparently I had been doing this for longer than I thought. And about that time, high school let out. You know, we were like an hour ahead of them. And I hated the people in high school because they treated us little people like you know, dweebs, they just, they just were so mean. And I was like, God, you have put this in my hand. And so all the high schoolers are coming out of the parking lot. You know, this was back in the, the late 60s, and everybody had a, you know, had a monster car. And they'd be coming running, you know, come flying out of the parking lot, and wheels are screeching, and engines are roaring. And so I just put them on red. And they're backed up all the way to the top of Hanley High School, all around the thing. And then I did my little yellow, green, or my green, yellow, red thing. 
and I would let one person through. And these guys were, you know, shifting gears and screaming and giving signals with their hands and things like that. And finally, I thought, you know, I don't like these people at all. I put it on red, I threw the thing in the box, and I walked away. It was, I think about it today, and I am so glad I did that. I still love that moment. I made so many people angry, and they deserved it, and I still relish the moment. It was then that I guessed that I probably had some kind of psychological problem going on. But I was proud of it. Now, fast forward many, many years, and this just happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, Pam and I are, are lying in bed watching television. And I did what I always do. I reached for the remote, the control. And I don't know what got into her. But she took it, and she put it over here on her side of the bed. And I said, give me the control. And she goes, no. Now, this has never happened in 20, some 27, 28 years of marriage. And I'm like, Pam, give me the control. No. I don't know if she was demon-possessed or something. What are, you, what are you thinking, woman? And I, give me the control. And she would not give it to me. She just refused. And it wasn't like I was watching something on TV I didn't want to watch. It was the show I wanted to watch. But I needed to be holding the control. I was doing that last night watching the Nationals play baseball, and I knew if I, if I moved my finger to the wrong button, we would lose the game. That's how sick I am, right? I have to have some kind of control. She would not give me the control. Finally, I literally just put my head under the pillow. I couldn't stand it because I didn't have the controls. And then... She laughed at me, and she said something I couldn't hear. My head was covered up, but I heard the word weird, and then she just threw the thing at me, and I felt better until I realized how sick I really am. <laughs> but you know, there, there's, um, there's something inside of us, isn't there, that we always want to have control. We, we, it's really important to us, and and we really worry when things are out of control. When, when, when we've had this plan, we've had this, this situation, and, and we know what we want, and then there's a loss of a job, or there's a loss of a business, or there's a loss of a, a, a friend, or there, there's a, you know, something that is extremely painful, loss of health, something that we weren't expecting. This is especially true of people who have suffered great loss in the past, and then they're looking at the future and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this is, you know, what's going to happen? And everything that happens in their life, they filter through that past situation. And they remember how painful that was. And, and then the filter is uh, going into place so that we begin to fear losing control of our life. I put some uh, uh, questions in your notes there. I'd like you to take a look at them just to kind of get you to think about some of this stuff. Um, are you worried when things don't go as expected, as planned? Do you often worry about things that are totally out of your control? Do you lose sleep over pressing issues, over things that you can't handle or can't control? Is it hard to turn off your mind? Do you, do you, does the unknown 
intimidate you? Or do you often imagine the worst case scenario? The Bible calls this something. It calls it an anxious heart. Proverbs 12.25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down. It's, it's a heavy weight. And you carry it, some of you carry it everywhere you go because you have this fear, this anxiety that what you have planned or what you've hoped for is, is could it end? Could it fall apart? And some of you worry about that because it has in the past. And will, it, will I ever be safe? Will I ever be free from fear? Here's some symptoms, and you, you can fill in the blanks here. Symptoms of an anxious heart. We make idols of things. Let me tell you how this works. We make idols of things. We, um, we get to a point in life where we, we're finally getting some of the things that we felt like we were supposed to get. It's a house or a couple cars or, or the, the right kind of furniture or, you, you know, all the stuff that we, we think that we have to have. And the next thing you know, all of those things become more important to us than life itself. And we start making an idol out of the things. And then we think, what if? What if I lose my job? What if I don't do well over here? What if this happens? Or what if, you know, and, and we start putting all these scenarios together and, and, and we've made an idol out of things and it causes an anxious heart. Uh, here's another one. We suffer from scenario sickness. You ever do this where you imagine the worst possible case scenario for your life? And you rehearse it over and over again. You know, I work in a business that's filled with risk managers. The idea here is that they mitigate risk. They try to do away with all the risk so that they can go forward, so businesses can move forward or insurance companies can move forward. And, and they try to eliminate or mitigate risk. But you can't do that in your life. It's impossible. And so... We start imagining what's the worst that could ever happen. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You, you can't. It doesn't matter how you worry or what you do. But these are symptoms of an anxious heart. Here's another one. We make a God out of our fear. We make a God out of our fear. We worry so much. We're so overwhelmed that the fear of what could happen we begin to serve versus the God who makes everything happen. There's a passage in Isaiah, the prophet said this, he goes, um, and he's talking about idols. He said, their idols are carried by animals. The statues are only heavy loads that must be carried. I want you to think about fear being a statue, being an idol. And here's what he says, they only make people tired. Man, have you just been exhausted because of fear? Just exhausted. Finally, and I think this may be the tr most tragic part of this, they, that we allow fear to keep us from God's best. You know, I, I tell you this all the time. We even named our church based on this principle that God has a plan for our lives. He has a destiny for our lives. And great things that he wants to do in our lives. But if we allow fear to dominate our thinking, then we're never going to experience God's best because we'll always be trying to manage our own risks. We'll always be trying to, to build a hedge against 
whatever could happen, and we're more concerned about protecting what we have than becoming the person that God wants us to be. So this is an amazing story in the Old Testament. It's just a, a cameo of the, the Israelites, and, and I want to focus on this today. Uh, you can read about this in Exodus 12, 13, and 14, but, but the, uh, here's the deal. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Finally, uh, you, you can read about how Moses was able to, with God's help, do some things to actually extricate the Israelites out of the control of the Egyptians. And so, you know, several million people walk out of Egypt. These people had been slaves. They had been the servants of Egypt. They had made Egypt what it was. But there was so much that God had done that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said, just go, get out of here. We can't take anymore. And so they're going across, headed to the promised land, and there was a a direct route to get to Israel from Egypt. But for whatever reason, God said, hey, no, I want you to go a different way. Because I don't want you to get blitzed by something that you weren't planning on. I have a much safer way for you to go. So Moses follows God, leading the people out of Israel straight into the Red Sea. A totally unpassable sea. Too far to walk around. How are you going to get across? There were no boats. And the people are out there, and then scouts come, and they say, you're not going to believe this, the Egyptians have changed their minds, and they are coming after us with their armies, and they're not coming simply to take us back to slavery, they're coming to kill us. So the people are freaking out, they turn around, they're looking for the Pharaoh and the king, and probably maybe see the dust of the horses while they're standing with their backs to the Red Sea, And here's what they say. They're mad at Moses. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? We could have died in Egypt. And then they went on. What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you when we were there, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? And then they said this, It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. I have a question. What, what is it that happens in our lives that causes us to fear being out of control? What is it that, that brings about this fear? And I think it's this. I think it all has to do with this one word. It's the word purpose. We are afraid we have lost our sense of purpose. This fear is based on this sense that we've lost all of our purpose, all of our direction. It's, it's the fear that we had plans and they've all gone down the tubes. I mean, we like to be the author of our destiny, don't we? We like to have our plans to put everything together. To you know, we're we're taught 
you know, in business, in school, everywhere, hey, you have to have goals, you have to have a plan, you have to know what you're doing, what's next, you need to, you need to set up a life plan, and I, you know, I even teach this stuff, I, you know, life, life coaching, life, I have a coach, and I, you know, they're teaching me, hey, do this, do this, and do this, and, and, and so we do that, we work our, we love to be the author of our plans, but what happens if God takes or something takes the pen out of our hand. What if we don't get to write our plan? What if we can't put it down because things have gone so south? Viktor Frankl, those of you who know about him, uh, he was a neurologist and a psychiatrist in um, Austria. And he was Jewish. And so during the Holocaust... Uh, Victor and all of his family were herded into railroad cars and sent to Auschwitz to be exterminated. And so Victor's, Victor's father had already passed away. His mother and his brother and her brother's family were all exterminated. They were all killed in this prison. And then his wife got transferred to another prison where she was exterminated. So Somehow, Victor survived, and after the Holocaust, he's had some time to, first of all, count his losses. What has happened? What have I lost? And being the scientist that he, he was, he, he wrote a book. It's a very famous book called Man's Search for Meaning, and written by someone who looked at the most meaningless, horrendous thing on earth. And in that book, he came up with a mathematical formula that, that goes like this. It's D equals S minus M. And because I didn't want to write all of this while you were sitting there, you can put the pieces together. Despair is suffering without meaningfulness. In other words, if you suffer, if you are going through a really difficult time, or if anybody is, this, you need to write this stuff down because this, you can help somebody. If you're, if you're doing really well right now, you're going to need this at some point, I promise you, or you can help somebody else. But if there is suffering going on and you can't find meaningfulness in the suffering, you end up with despair. I can't tell you how many people I've met who are in despair. They're hopeless. They feel absolutely no hope in life because they've gone through something and they can't find meaning. And the only thing that comes from it is hopelessness. Viktor Frankl wrote this. He said, life is never made unbearable by circumstances. Now, think about who's writing this. It's not me. It's not... You know, somebody sitting in a cushy office, it's a guy who's lost everything in his life. And he says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose in those circumstances. Forced beyond a person's control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose 
how you will respond to the situation. There's one thing that losing control can never take from you, and that's choosing how you respond to the challenges in your life. So out of this story in Exodus, I want to give you three fearless principles. So here's the first one. Number one, stand firm. Stand firm. Now, please write this down, and I want you to think through this with me. This is what, first of all, what Moses told the people. This is God's word giving us a real key to help us. Like, like I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been in an out-of-control situation where the pen was taken from your hand, where you're in a situation where you just, it's all gone. Everything you, ha- you had, you thought you had, everything that was meaning so much to you, it's all gone. And you have to figure out how to live, how to survive, how to get past that point. That's where the Israelites were. It's over. Everything we thought, you know, there was some hope we could get to a promised land where there's apparently milk and honey. Now we're going to die in the desert. So what do you do? What do you do if you're having this fear, this anxiety that's driving your life right now? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? Number one is to stand firm. Moses answered the people. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Let me tell you a couple things about control. First of all, you think you have it, but you will never be in control. You will never be in control of others. Children try to control their parents. Guys, just give up. It's not going to work. Parents try to control their children. It will work until they're two. And they're out of control. And that's just the beginning. Wait till they turn 13. And then it only goes downhill. I pretend I'm in control. You will never be able to control the events of life. We have this fear of something that we don't even have. We can't even have it. So and when things do get out of control, and they will, instead of freezing with fear, Moses' command to us is just stop. Stand still. Stand firm. What do you do then? What do you do with that? What do you do when, man, this whole thing has been a mess, and it's going downhill, and I've just lost everything that, that, that I can lose? And what do you do? And, and God says, I want you to stand still. And I want you to think about what I have done in the past. Just the fact that you're here today will tell you that you survived. That somehow you've made it to this point. And anything lasting in your life, whether you know this or not, has only come from God. It's not something that you've made. It's not something that you've created. And at the end of the day, when we look at all the horrors that are going on across our country and across the world, and we feel so, like things are so out of control, 
It is not a reflection of God's love for us. And it is not the end of the world because the world that God has is unending. And our life is more than these moments right here. And God has more. And so we need to stand firm. Now, the second thing that happens here seems like the total opposite of the first thing, and that is to take the next step. It says here, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. <laughs> now, here's the, here, here's the funny thing. Some of you are like, okay, this, this just sounds like a preacher, right? You get two things, and they're total opposite, and now what do we do? Um, the idea of standing still had something to do with our heart. The idea of moving on is all about our physical being. It's about what we do. There's this part about who we are. That's the standstill part. Then there's this moving on part. That's what we do. We move on. The command to stand firm is dealing with the inner turmoil, the fear, the anxiety. What are we going to do now? What's going to happen next? You're, you're up in the middle of the night thinking, oh my God, what's going on? What's falling? This whole thing is falling apart. And, and God says, wait, stop. Put the brakes on. But then he says, hey, I got this. Now I need to take a step. At this point, God didn't need any more questions from the Israelites. He didn't need any more skepticism or doubt. He just needed some action. Folks, when you're plagued with fear and doubt and anxiety or things that have happened in the past, God is saying, take a step, move on. When you think about all the things that have gone on and you're paral <coughs> excuse me, paralyzed by fear, God is saying, move on, take a step. When you don't know where this is going, what's going to happen next, God is saying, take another step. You walk as far as you can, and you trust God for the next step, and then the next, and then the next. You don't have an idea of what's going to happen. You have no clue what's around the corner. But you can put one foot in front of the other. Finally, the, the third thing, and I, I didn't know what to call this, so I just call it take the ride. Take the ride. Where are we going? Well, kind of like riding a roller coaster, you know, you don't know what the next turn is going to bring, and we always feel like we need to know everything that's going to happen, because we got the pen in our hands, right? We want to put the plan together, and, um, but we, if you're going to live a, a successful, crazy good life, you're probably not going to know what's next. You can make your plans. You can take the next logical step. Hopefully these are healthy steps you take. But you have no idea where they're going to take you. What's going to take place. But coming back to the story in Exodus, if you read through the rest of that chapter and into the next chapter, the Israelites faced the Red Sea. Moses leading. And miracle upon miracle began to take place. The sea did something. We've never seen anything like it before. 
never anything of this magnitude since. The sea simply opened up. And the people walked across on dry ground. And the enemy that was going to destroy them ended up drowning when the sea came back together and they were caught in the middle. The... Um, I thought I'd just share something personal today about this. Um, you guys know, those of you who are part of our church, been here for a while, you know that I, um, I didn't script my life. Well, I scripted it. It just, it just didn't go the way I had planned. And so a lot of years ago now, um, I was uh, a single dad and, and um, no job lost everything I had, everything, I mean, uh, except my little girl, and um, I made the decision, I I felt like I should go into business. (laughs) You have to understand, I I didn't have a business degree, I had no business going into business, I, I knew nothing, I'd never seen a profit and loss statement, didn't know what it was, I, I, I didn't know about payroll taxes boy that was a shock um i didn't know anything and i um i I had sold insurance when i was in college and so i knew how to do that and i thought okay i think I'll, i'll go do this and there was just something inside of me that i just felt like god was leading me and i i i didn't know what it was i just kept taking little steps I knew I had to do something, and I was I was working odd jobs just to, you know, put food on the table and take care of my daughter and 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 just you know be able to get by. And my dad came to me one day and he goes, "Hey, I've been thinking about this business thing." And he goes, "I think you should do it." And I said, I, "Yeah, I'm trying, Dad. This this thing is it's so hard. I, I, you know, I've got." nothing to start with and and but I I feel like gee, I really should and he handed me a check for $50,000 and the first words out of his mouth is this is not a gift <laughs> he goes this is a loan I was like, Dad, where, where did you get fifty thousand? I've known you a long time. Where did you get fifty thousand dollars? And my dad was a pastor. Otherwise, I would have thought maybe he stole it. And um, he goes, "This is, this is from your mom's and my retirement." And he goes, "Actually, this is all of our retirement." And he handed me the check. And man, you talk about fear. I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to blow this. And then I'm going to have to take care of my parents the rest of their lives because I've destroyed their little tiny bit of retirement. And um, so I was trying to get this thing off the ground. And, you know, I put together a plan and it started working. And I can't tell you, this this January will be 34 years since I started business and and I can't begin to tell you how many times I could have lost everything. And, but it was just like God was behind me, directing me, and, and 
And I, I, I knew that, and I really needed that, and I depended upon it. But <clears throat> there was something that happened that is so, to me, to this day, I was telling somebody this story the other day, just so unbelievable to me. Uh, my dad was uh, asked to go speak at a conference down in Virginia Beach. And um, there, were, there were probably six or eight, ten speakers at this thing, and he was one of them. And, and he had done his thing, and he was just sitting in the auditorium, and the next guy starts speaking and shared some things. And, and um, <laughs> at the end of his speech, he said, hey, you know what? I just want to have people come up to be prayed for. People that, and this was all pastors, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them. And, and he said, just guys that are just really struggling. And so my dad, he was struggling for me. And he gets up and he goes up and he stands in front of the, the stage there. And this guy's going around. And he's just praying for different people. And he gets to my dad and he just, you know, he's just going from one to the next. Puts his hands on my dad's shoulders and he, he starts to pray. And he just stopped. And he goes, yeah, I got something to tell you. And my dad did not know this guy. This guy did not know my dad. They were from like total opposite ends of the country. This guy says, you got a son going through a difficult time. And he's going into business. And I want you to know, God is with him. And not only is he with him, but God is going to use this business to bless his kingdom. And my dad almost passed out. He's like, hey, did he say anything about my 50 grand? You know, he didn't say that, but I know my dad. I know he wanted to hear just one more sentence. He didn't get it. Um, by the way, I paid my dad back. Um, the... Um, but he came home and he told me that story. And all through the years, when, boy, we face tough times, difficult challenges, I go all the way back to that moment. I wasn't even there. To that moment where God spoke and he said something that defined my future, your future. And the future of whatever comes in the future from, from what it is that we do as a church. It's never out of control when it's God's. So today, um, I want to encourage you to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding all of our fear all of our anxiety will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus